0: The House and Senate are both in recess and will not return until mid-November. Let's talk about Biden's student loan payoff scam. On Thursday, Federal District Judge Henry Edward Autry, appointed by President George W. Bush, dismissed the lawsuit brought by six states against the Biden administration's student debt assumption scheme. Autry ruled that the states did not have standing to sue. Quote, While plaintiffs present important and significant challenges to the debt relief plan, the current plaintiffs are unable to proceed to the resolution of these challenges, he wrote. Judge Autry did not speak to the merits of the underlying lawsuit. One day later, on Friday, the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals took up the case on appeal and temporarily blocked the Biden administration's plans to assume the student loan debts of tens of millions of borrowers. The court said it would hear the appeal on an expedited basis with briefs due from the two sides on Tuesday and Wednesday of this week. Now to inflation. You know inflation is bad when government agencies' response to inflation actually makes news. That's what's happened in the last 10 days or so as two of the biggest federal government agencies, the Social Security Administration And the Internal Revenue Service have announced adjustments to schedules and payments they'll be making to account for this worst inflation in 40 years. The Social Security Administration announced it will be raising the Social Security Cost of Living Adjustment, the COLA, by 8.7% next year. The Internal Revenue Service announced it would be raising tax brackets by about 7% to prevent inflation from pushing people artificially into higher tax brackets. Meanwhile, contribution limits to 401k and other tax-deferred retirement plans will rise by a record 9.8%. Now to illegal immigration. While Texas Governor Greg Abbott and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis have been getting headlines in recent weeks for their moves to transport illegal immigrants to blue state sanctuary cities like Chicago, New York, Washington, D.C., and even Martha's Vineyard, Arizona's outgoing Republican Governor Doug Ducey is no slacker on the illegal immigration and border security front himself. Ducey announced Friday afternoon that Arizona had filed a federal lawsuit in the U.S. District Court for the District of Arizona, asking a judge to step into a dispute over less than a mile's worth of shipping containers that for now are serving as a makeshift border wall in Arizona. The shipping containers stacked two containers high are serving as a barrier along the border. They were placed there in August. The Biden administration wants the Arizona government to remove them. Governor Ducey says no. Quote, Arizona is taking action to protest on behalf of our citizens, Ducey said. With this lawsuit, we're pushing back against efforts by federal bureaucrats to reverse the progress we've made. The safety and security of Arizona and its citizens must not be ignored. Arizona is going to do the job that Joe Biden refuses to do, secure the border in any way we can. We're not backing down, End quote. Late on Friday evening, in a blatant garbage dump, Customs and Border Patrol released the September border numbers revealing there were 227,547 migrant encounters last month. That's the highest September in the department's history. So, fiscal year 22 ended with 2,378,944 encounters. That's also the highest number ever, and that does not include the gotaways. Let's put the September numbers in context. September 2022... 227,547. September 2021, 192,001. September 2020, 57,674. And September 2019, 52,546. Just as troubling, CBP also released its final numbers on encounters with suspected terrorists for last year. The Border Patrol encountered 98 nationals on the terrorist watch list who were found crossing the U.S.-Mexico border between points of entry in fiscal year 22. That's up from a total of 15 in 2021. And the problem is getting worse because the data for last month showed that for the first 11 months of the fiscal year, CBP had encountered 78 suspected terrorists, meaning that just in the last month alone, they encountered another 20. Now to the January 6th committee. Last week, we noted that the January 6th committee had voted to subpoena former President Donald Trump, but had not actually issued the subpoena. That, I suggested, would likely occur on Monday or Tuesday, in the event it didn't happen until Friday. The subpoena asks for documents and testimony. It requests that 19 different categories of documents responsive to the subpoena be delivered to the committee by November 4, and it suggests testimony uh, should be received by the committee on November 14th. That is, they want the president to come in for testimony on November 14th. Though we haven't yet heard from President Trump's lawyers on the matter, I don't imagine he'll be testifying before the committee. As I noted last week, the last time a House committee subpoenaed a former president was also the first time a House committee subpoenaed a former president. The year was 1953, and it was a House Committee on Un-American Activities that subpoenaed former President Harry S. Truman. Truman refused to abide by the committee's request. Instead, he gave a national speech responding to the committee's charges, and the House dropped the matter. So there's never been a Supreme Court ruling on the question of whether a House committee can compel a former president to testify. Former Trump White House senior aide and senior campaign strategist Steve Bannon was sentenced Friday to four months in jail and a $6,500 fine for contempt of Congress for defying his subpoena from the January 6th committee. But the judge ruled that Bannon could remain free while his lawyers appeal the ruling. Now to Russia and Ukraine. What happens if your Russia and your invasion of Ukraine doesn't turn out the way you planned? And it turns out your weapons aren't powerful enough to do their job and you're running out of them. Well, you turn to your friends. In this case, Russia has turned to Iran for help and Iran has responded, by sending Russia drones that the Russians can use as guided missiles. Except the Russians don't really understand the Iranian drones very well, so now there are Iranian troops, members of the Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps, quote, directly engaged on the ground, end quote, in Crimea, supporting Russian drone attacks on Ukrainian power stations, according to the White House. White House spokesman John Kirby said the Biden administration is looking at imposing new sanctions on Iran, and is looking for ways to make it more difficult for Iran to sell such weapons to Russia. Now for our Tea Party Patriot Citizens Fund campaign update. The campaign update is easy. Over the last several weeks, it's become clear that the Democrats' attempt to shift the campaign argument from the economy and crime to abortion and abortion have failed. I think there are two reasons for this. First... Raging inflation is something we haven't seen in 40 years. It's not like a sluggish economy. Even when we have a recession and unemployment rises by three or four or 5%, that's three or four or five people out of 100 that have lost their jobs. But that means that 95 or 96 or 97 didn't. Inflation, by contrast, literally affects everybody. And it doesn't just affect everybody on those occasions when they have to make a purchase. It affects them any time they drive down a major thoroughfare that's got gas stations. Because those big signs with the prices we're all used to seeing act like advertisements against the party in power, reminding everyone that even if you're not buying gas today, you know that gas is going to be more expensive the next time you do have to fill up. Second, Democrats are extreme on abortion. At the national level, there are effectively no more pro-life Democrats. And not only are all Democrats pro-choice, their hard-left activists have made it impossible to be anything but hard-left radicals on the issue. So they're not just pro-choice. They have to support abortion for any reason at any time, all the way up until birth, and they want taxpayers to pay for it. That's just not where the vast majority of the American public is on this issue, and a lot of Republican candidates finally figured this out and figured out how to talk about abortion in a manner that makes clear to the electorate that when it comes to abortion, it's the Democrats who are the real extremists. The result of these two phenomena is that all over the country, there's been movement toward Republican candidates and away from Democrat candidates. For instance, in Arizona, the real clear politics polling average was cut from a 4.5% Mark Kelly lead over Republican Blake Masters to just 2.5%. In 2020, the RCP polling average 17 days before the election was Biden plus four. The eventual margin in Arizona was Biden plus 0.3. Remember that. In Georgia, the RCP polling average was cut from a Raphael Warnock lead of 3.3% over Republican nominee Herschel Walker to a Warnock lead of just 2.4%. The RCP polling average 17 days before the 2020 election in Georgia was Biden plus two. And we all know the eventual margin was plus 0.3. If neither candidate gets to 50% in this election, the election will go to a runoff. And I have to say that despite their failure to win either of the runoffs in 2021, Georgia Republicans will be favored to win the race in the runoff based on their history. In North Carolina, the RCP polling average for, I'm sorry, the RCP polling average advantage for Republican nominee Ted Budd has moved from 1.5 points to 2.8 points. In Ohio, the RCP polling average advantage for Republican nominee J.D. Vance, has moved from 0.7 points to 2.3 points. In Pennsylvania, the RCP polling average advantage for Democrat nominee John Fetterman has moved from plus 3.4 points to plus 2.4 points. That's inside the margin of error. In 2020, the RCP polling average 17 days before the election was Biden, plus 5.6%. The eventual margin was plus 1.2%. In Wisconsin, the RCP polling average advantage for Republican incumbent Senator Ron Johnson was plus 2.8. That's unchanged from a week ago. In 2020, the RCP polling average 17 days before the election was Biden plus 6.1%. The eventual margin was plus 0.7 percent. So what you see across the board is movement toward the Republican candidates and away from the Democrat candidates. And what you see by looking back at the RCP polling average from two years ago in each of those states and comparing that from 17 days out to what the actual election results were, that'll tell you that in each of these battleground states, the RCP polling average tends to show Democrat candidates about four points stronger than where they actually finish, which is another way of saying that in any race where there's a Republican candidate within four points of the Democrat, that's a race that's likely going to end up going to the GOP candidate. And if that's the case, We're looking at the first edges of a tsunami. Republicans could end up netting one or two or possibly even three seats in the Senate recapturing control. And if Republicans are recapturing the Senate, they're definitely going to recapture the House. Again, the only real question there is the margin of victory. Based on what we're seeing now, it's looking increasingly like the GOP could get to 240 seats, maybe even 250 seats. That's our Washington Report and our campaign update for this week.